0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Happy, Healthy, Strong podcast powered by Oak Strength. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Kiefer. I'm here with my co-host, Ms. Lauren Heiser. Lauren, how are you doing?
1: I am great today. Coffeed up, ready to go. Had some, had some client talks. Things are going well, so ready to jump in.
0: Awesome. Well, we have a special guest today, uh, Ms. Uh, Karen Radke here. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about health, nutrition, Overall wellness. So, Karen, welcome. Thank you. And go ahead, floors yours. Give a little introduction of (laughs) who you are, background, what you do, and we'll go from there.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am Karen Radke. As mentioned, I'm the owner of Integral Health Solutions, and started my own company about four years ago. I'm a holistic nurse practitioner and also a board certified health coach. So I've had a passion for helping people uh, reverse disease using diet. Yeah. So delighted to be here. Thank you. That's awesome.
1: When uh, when did you get board certified? I've I've looked into that.
2: Board certified in which? For the health coach portion. When you started your business four, or for a while? Four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Certified as a coach, a nurse coach, actually, a health and wellness nurse coach, but that's ah, such a mouthful. It is. That I usually just. Especially in the Midwest, where people are kind of like don't really know what a health coach no, they don't. is. <laughs> I shorten it to health coach. I
0: didn't even know that was like a board certified thing. Like it's I've just thought of something like I could just call myself on the internet. literally yeah. like
1: four or so years ago. It, it became a thing. It hasn't been around for that long. I mean, at least the health for me, health and wellness coach is what I was looking into. I'm not a nurse, obviously, so I wouldn't go that route. But um, uh, yeah, that was. A, a, a newer thing and really just trying to find regulation in the the space where people just pop up overnight and like, I'm going to be your life coach. And why? Because I've experienced life and I'm going to help you with yours. So um, they're trying to kind of regulate that, I think, which I think is really cool. Yeah, really powerful. It is. Um, what, what caused you to uh, make that switch or flip that switch to say, I want to start this business. This is what I want to do. I guess, what did you do before? Obviously, nursing.
2: A nurse practitioner. nurse practitioner, okay. Yes. So I worked in, you know, a doctor's office, clinic setting for 17 years. (laughs) But I've always had a passion for helping people improve their health. Yeah. And when you work in the traditional healthcare
1: setting,
2: you have a 15-minute appointment. Yes. So you talk, you find out what's going on, you write their prescription, and you send them out the door and say, exercise and eat healthy. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah. (laughs) So I think I reached the point where I realized that that model just honestly doesn't work. Yeah. And I truly do have a passion for helping people improve their health. So that was kind of the impetus then Mm -hmm. to start my own business where I could have a 45-minute appointment. Right. And really explain to them what they need to eat and why. And to get the message across that most chronic disease can really be reversed.
1: Yeah. Reversed, everyone. Reversed. Reversed. Like, no more.
2: Yeah. (laughs) With diet. Because you don't hear that from your primary care provider.
0: No. They're going to jump to usually a prescription.
2: Exactly.
0: So when you say chronic disease, give people, anyone listening, like an example or description of what we mean by chronic disease.
2: Thank you. I would say primarily, in this country right now, heart disease and diabetes. Yeah. 42% of people in this country have either diabetes or prediabetes. Yeah. And along with that almost always comes high blood pressure. And heart, or diabetes is the number one contributor to heart disease, which is the number one killer for both men and women. In this country, right?
0: That's a crazy statistic. Almost one, almost one in you, two people. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's three of us sitting here. Who's pre-diabetic? Yeah. Probably probably me. <laughs> I have some sugar issues. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so uh, I, had a, I had a different thought. I'll go this way. So I guess I th- I'd, be, I'd love to hear your, your process. Um, so someone... Uh, uh, a potential client comes to you because they're looking for a more holistic or integrative route and so um, what's kind of the, the process that someone can expect if they were to to work with you or just kind of the the steps or the the framework that you use to help people reverse whatever's going on in their life
2: primarily well it starts with an assessment like yep. you know what are you looking for what are your goals right, see if you're a good fit exactly and I would say that almost nine out of ten times Someone will seek me out when they've had an event or something drastic has happened. Okay. Like their doctor will say, okay, your sugars have been way too high for three years now. We are putting you on insulin. Like, no. (laughs) Yeah. And then they're like, oh my gosh, now I really have to do something about it. Okay. And then they find me. Yeah. Or someone has had like a cardiac event, like a mini stroke or a mild heart attack or had an angiogram and had to put a have a stent put in, right. and they're like, okay, now I need to get serious about this. Yeah. Okay. And again, it's kind of sad that the message isn't usually put out there that, hey, this can be reversed. Right. They could have been working
1: at it for three years before that event happened and have three years under their belt of change, and yeah. Yeah, now they're...
2: That's just not how the human brain works. Yeah. But okay. So then I do an assessment, and my approach, even though I have a step-by-step process... It's very individualized. And again, it's by my firm belief that food is medicine. Yes. But we are all creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. So if I try to put you on a certain diet, it's not going to work. Right. So what I do is coach you to make small changes along the way, bit by bit, step by step. And I always tell people this is a marathon. Mm -hmm. it's not a sprint so making small changes that will be sustainable in their life where they're at (laughs) so that truly they can reverse the heart disease or the diabetes right because it didn't come overnight exactly
1: (laughs) so the process coming out of it should not be overnight exactly yeah um yeah awesome very cool Uh, so how long would you say do people tend to work with you? What's your, what's the average, you know, span of, of a client, how long you keep them for and how long it takes? I'm sure it's all over, but yeah. What do you see most often?
2: Most often it's a four to six week program. If they are indeed wanting to reverse diabetes and or dramatically lower their blood pressure.
1: Okay. Okay. Nice. That you said four to six weeks.
2: Correct. Okay. And then, and that's the foundation. Yes. For some people it's six months. Okay.
1: Very good. And, um, after those four to six weeks, then is it, you know, obviously you've built the habits and you, you've, you've made this the micro changes so they know what to do. So do people tend to kind of need like a, a graduation period to get back to real life or you've prepared them enough during that four to six weeks that they can just kind of go off on their own. If they ever need you again, they know where to find you type of thing.
2: Yes and no. So yeah. usually in the six weeks, and behavioral experts tell us that it takes six weeks to really change a habit, mm-hmm. but it takes 12 weeks to solidify it. Okay. So I always check in with them, again, like in three weeks or four weeks. And nice. again, everybody's so different. If they're the kind of person like, you know, maybe they did have a small heart attack or a mini stroke, and they're like super motivated, they're good. Yeah. But everybody's different some people take a little longer okay
0: yeah it's hard like that so many people have to have that like life-threatening uh event for them to make a change that they can't see the like the the what might be coming just because you know you know we can do some measurements on like blood pressure and do some blood work and you know different things it's like well, these people, like, you're going to have an issue if you keep it this way, but you be like, ah, I'll be okay. <laughs> and it's kind of hard to see that, like, people need that, you know, mild stroke or mild, you know, some kind of cardiac event to be like, okay, now I'm going to make a change.
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard that way. Definitely. Um, do Do you have a, a health story that you're very passionate about in your own life that brought you to this? Or was it just living day in and day out in that clinical setting and seeing that we're being reactive to health instead of proactive, that was kind of your, you know, change point?
2: Good question. And yes, I have a story. Okay,
1: <laughs> let's hear it.
2: So probably, oh, 17, 18 years ago, I had recently started working for Rockford Health. It was Rockford Health back then. Mm-hmm. And um, one of our clients, patients at the in the clinic mm-hmm. was... A pilot, a 42-year-old pilot who had diabetes. And because of his overseas travel and erratic schedule, his diabetes was not well controlled. Mm -hmm. In a way, through no fault of his own. I mean, it was like his job demanded this schedule and this eating pattern and Anyway, uh, long story short, we tried numerous medications, all kinds of different things, but sad to say, he did lose one of his toes. And all of us were just devastated because he couldn't work then anymore as a pilot. And it just, I remember feeling so defeated like, oh my gosh, I wish I could have helped this man. Yeah. And then either by luck or divine intervention. <laughs> About two weeks later, a speaker came to town, an MD, who talked about reversing diabetes. Well, I hadn't learned about reversing diabetes in grad school. No. So I was just like, what? Really? Reversing it? I mean, again, you mentioned it earlier, the common approach in our western medicine system is well here's your prescription right so when I learned then about reversing diabetes I'm like I'm in I'm in so from that I went on to explore more about the program and how it works and got more into functional medicine which Mm -hmm. is looking at the cause of the underlying issue and how to reverse it and I was hooked I'm like oh we have tools now to really help these people instead of just giving them a prescription and then six months later adding a second prescription and then adding another prescription for the side effects of the first medication. Oh my gosh, yes. So I, I just became very impassioned about actually reversing the diabetes. Okay. So did that for a while in the more typical clinical setting and then again four years ago went on my own.
1: Yeah, and so uh, are you? Are you
2: full time in your business, and that's all you do now, or part time? Okay. And COVID made a huge impact. Yeah. Needless to say. Yeah. Because everybody was kind of paralyzed. Right. They're kind of like, oh, why should I care about my diabetes? I might be dead in a month," you know? Yeah. <laughs> there was kind of that it was a scary time. It was a scary time for people. Definitely. It was, and it was such a catch twenty two because we know people who were hospitalized with COVID, 34% of them had diabetes, uncontrolled yep. blood sugar. So it was such a double-edged sword that, yeah, you need to like fix your diabetes right now, but yet people were, I don't know, just paralyzed is the only word I can think of. Like, so much change was forced upon us like, well, I can't change my diet now. You know, I'm already dealing with this and this and this and this and losing my job and all the other factors. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Stress levels were through the roof. Like people were sitting at home like, oh, whatever. I'm like, I can't go anywhere. I'm going to eat cake and drink wine all day. Order everything to my front door. Well, that's you.
1: Yeah. Hey, I did it like twice. Okay.
0: (laughs) But yeah, it was a a tough time, right? People, you know, no one knew what to do. And then like, the, like, you no, know, they took care of their health in a sense of, like, COVID-related with, like, distancing and, and, like, isolating, but they didn't think about health for, like, an overall, like, what am I eating? What am I doing physically to, like, overall take care of themselves and may have spiraled out of control into a worse state now.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so uh, have you read the book The Obesity Code?
2: No, I have not.
1: Okay, so it is a it is a doctor that uh, yeah, doctor a PhD doesn't matter. One of the smart things, and um, he essentially has uh, devoted his or changed his practice to the idea of reversing diabetes through through diet intervention. So he it's it's a book that kind of explains, uh, you know, obviously what what diabetes is and how the route we do now actually can exacerbate it and almost make it worse by just giving more insulin for more storage and people get gain more weight and get fatter and then it you know tumble down the road um and so he he doesn't go too far into depth on um kind of the the strategies he uses it's a little bit of like intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating mixed with obviously the the food choices and the changes uh so one i was just curious if you've read it but um two what would be like three, top three things that you would say are important for someone who maybe, maybe right now they're, they're pre-diabetic, uh, or they've been, they know it runs in their family. Maybe they don't know if they're, if they're pre or are currently diabetic, um, three habits or changes or interventions that you use that you think are really influential and helpful for beginning the process of reversing it.
2: Great question. So, it's hard to say just three things. And again, I you really can say do, as many as you want. Okay. <laughs> I do really try to individualize it. Right. And work with the person to find out what are their issues. Mm-hmm. Their gaps. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was Dr. Jeffrey Bland, who's like the grandfather of functional medicine, mm-hmm. who coined the term diabetes. Okay. Because that's really kind of what we have going on here. Now not every single diabetic right. or pre diabetic is overweight, but Most often, they're like hand in glove, that yes, the two go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I almost always do is I, in a simple way, explain insulin resistance. Okay. Because people haven't heard about that Mm -hmm. from their primary care provider, and they don't understand what's going on here. They really don't understand what insulin does. They don't understand that they have hunger hormones. Yep. You know, they think, oh, it's just all like I have this sugar craving In my brain and, and something's wrong with me. Yeah. yeah. So I really try to give a brief eighth grade biology yep. lesson and explain it. So when I say, OK, so you shouldn't be eating this then because they kind of know why. Right. And I do oftentimes encourage the time restricted eating because mm-hmm. I think that is one of the biggest problems we have in this country is nighttime tv watching with snacking
1: yeah or just snacking all day your blood sugar never stabilizes correct just every um, uh now i'll eat the apple now i'll have a bag of chips now i'll have a pop now i'll have a coffee like it
0: never stops well like we said earlier food's so readily available now with all these so easy delivery services whether for your groceries or from your favorite restaurant like People do, they, you know, it might be nine o'clock at night and they're like, oh, I can still get this burger delivered. I'm going to have it. And right. It's like, well, maybe that's not your best option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you, so yep.
1: do you, do you mind sharing a small snippet of, of explaining, do you, do you feel comfortable explaining insulin resistance?
2: Sure. Yeah. Again, it's the watered down version. Yeah. That's what we want. but it. It. Okay. <laughs> so. I mean, I don't I understand it perfectly. If I was going into a lawyer's office and they said, Oh, this is this is this is and I would like I'd be totally overwhelmed. Right. But it's almost the same thing with our bodies unless you are in health working in healthcare right. All and, terms you and had to, Yeah. So insulin resistance means that your your cells in your body mm-hmm. are not able to let insulin do its job. So, okay, so normally let's, let's say you eat a chocolate chip cookie. Kay. What happens? It's digested in your stomach, and the sugar in the cookie then goes into your small intestine yep. and into your blood. Right. Your pancreas kicks out insulin mm-hmm. to help that sugar be used in your muscle cells. Mm-hmm. And then when this sugar goes inside the cell, it brings the sugar in your blood down. But so many people that are pre-diabetic, and people are often pre-diabetic for five, six, seven, eight, nine years, right, there is a blockage in the cell wall so that insulin can't do its job of letting the sugar go inside the cell where it's needed. Yep. So the blood sugar, the sugar just stays in your blood, and yep. your blood sugar keeps going up and up and up and up and up yep
1: yeah I I like to use the analogy of the boy who cried wolf it's that's kind of every time you have sugar it's it's crying wolf crying wolf and eventually your body's like oh yeah it's just that boy crying wolf over there I don't really need to deal with that And so the insulin stops doing its job and and the blood sugar just sits and it just stays. And then that's where we get all of the inflammatory markers and just chronic inflammation and starts to chip away at our art, like all the, all the bad stuff. Um, So yeah, that's a, that's a very good, very good explanation. Thank you. I just want to make sure listeners knew because I'm sure they're like, well, tell me what is insulin resistance? I want to know. Um, Okay. So that's, that's part one. And then. So then
2: another part to that, I love that story about crying wolf, but also. I also love how Dr. Neil Barnard explains it. Okay. He's like, he was one of the first nationally known doctors who really got this message across about insulin resistance. Yeah. He explains it like it's chewing gum in the lock that prevents the insulin then from letting the sugar in. And yeah, uh, yeah I think both of those are great analogies. Yeah. yeah,
1: lock and key. doesn't work. It's
2: stuck. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yep.
1: Okay. All right. So they understand that. And then based on that, that's the kind of the background that you need as she continues to explain then what foods you should be able to eat or not eat or avoid or have more of. So what's the next kind of part or step or habit that you that you work on from there?
2: Well, a lot of times, okay, so we all eat for the wrong reason. Okay. Because <laughs> we want to feel good? Yeah. Is yeah. that why? Yeah. And the food industry has hijacked our taste buds. Yep. So everything has too much sugar, either hidden sugar or real sugar, and too much salt. So um, another great book is The End of Overeating okay, by I'll David look. Kessler. I'll look into that. He actually was the head of the FDA.
1: Ooh, that's yeah. good.
2: So he knows all the ins and outs of the FDA and the food industry and how it all works, but he explains it all. And one of the things I'll never forget from his book is that Food scientists are paid thousands of dollars if they can create a food that's very addicting. Yep. I mean, think of our... To the texture, the crunch, the flavor, exactly. this, all of it, the
1: experience. Yeah.
2: So that's the other piece is getting people to recognize that. Like, you know, you see an ad on TV for a certain, certain pizza uh, yeah, they they make you want it, and the way our brains are wired as a survival mechanism, you see it, you want it. What do you do? You pick up the phone, and you order that pizza and have it delivered to your door. Yeah, yeah. So it's getting people to understand also then how your brain works in, you might say, craving that food. Okay. Very good. Okay.
1: Um, and so I love those. Those are all very tactical and like, I would even say habit-based. It's just the baseline to understand and like as you as you gain this education. And I, I love to coach the same way. Like I I want to educate you. I want to give you awareness so that you can make adjustments because you're you're no longer just an idle consumer, just you know involuntarily taking things in and being a victim of the system. Almost, you're able to take control of your choices because you are informed. So once they have uh, all the education that you're giving them, this information, um. What are some of the biggest shifts you you see people make in terms of their food choices? Is it as simple as process to not? Is there a, an in-between jump? Like, um, how do we start to make those little habits of making changes to choose foods that will stop the insulin resistance cycle or help lower that?
2: Well, we mentioned it earlier that a big time is that nighttime snacking. Okay. And I think... We're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this, of using food as a reward. Mm-hmm. So you've had a really hard, stressful day. 8 o'clock, you're finally sitting on the couch watching TV. And before you know it, you've eaten the whole bag of pretzels. Right. So, But you think, like, oh, I had a hard day. I, I, deserve, I this. deserve this. I deserve this. Yeah. So a big part of it is getting people to stop that habit of nighttime eating. And I'll tell them, okay, if you feel like you have to have something, um, well, if it's if they really are struggling, sometimes I'll say, okay, well then don't watch TV, because mm-hmm. it's like that's their cue, right, like right. sit in front of the TV, veg out, uh, eat that bag of chips, and they're sitting there with the bag, so you know they're not really even thinking about mindless. what they're yeah. mindless. Thank you, that's yeah. the perfect word for it. <laughs> so I'll tell them, okay, well you can have like a half a cup of pistachios.
1: Which also help you sleep.
2: <laughs> Which also help you sleep. <laughs> Very exactly. good. And, and don't bring any food into the family room where you watch TV. Right. Or yeah. another gal that, <laughs> and she was a younger gal with diabetes and strong family history of diabetes. I said, okay, well, then you can have that little snack, but you have to stand in the kitchen and eat it. You can't go sit in front of the TV and eat it. So sometimes it's just those little tweaks mm-hmm. as you gradually let go. Because if you try to make a radical shift, your brain is just going to rebel and oh yeah, it's not going to work long term.
1: Yeah, yeah. Have you um, have you heard of James Clear, Atomic Habits? Yes.
2: Oh, I love that book. Yeah.
1: It just reminds me of the idea of habit stacking. But the interesting thing is yes. I, nev- I haven't thought about it in the reverse way to uh, if you have... So for example, habit stacking would mean you watch TV and with watching TV, your body stacks or aligns the habit of just eating mindlessly. And then that would be a habit of staying up later. And that would be, so it kind of builds and builds and builds. But I like how, because um, to me, I would just focus on taking away the TV. But to take the TV habit, which good or bad, we can talk about that, but um, stacking a new positive habit with it the ch- swapping out the pistachios for the potato chips or the you know pretzels whatever it is um and then you know if you're not mindlessly eating maybe because you just could continuously eat you sat and watch tv longer because you have this food you're just eating but if you have like a serving of pistachios and they're gone Maybe then you cut off the TV earlier. Maybe you get to bed earlier. So it's the avalanche of habits, changes that can, that can happen are, are super interesting. And he talks a lot about environment. So I love that. I'm going to stand in my kitchen to eat this snack. And then I go to the living room where the habit in the living room is entertainment. It's not also eating and entertainment. And to separate those, that's a, a really, really good, um, really good idea. And you guys should be taking notes as listeners. She's, she's got a lot of good ideas.
0: well I I think similar to like and especially with you know connecting tv and other technology right Mm. like I don't have a tv in my bedroom no right I don't take my phone like I don't use my phone in my bedroom because my bedroom's for sleep like and there's a lot of people who get in their bed but they still have their phone and they spend 20 30 40 how many ever minutes looking at it instead of just going to sleep right all right it's that same kind of idea it's like create your space for your activity right your your kitchen or your dining room is for eating your living room is not for eating and just getting those to stack and keep those separate and build those better habits
1: and that's good for any part of life people working from home now and having struggles with it like yeah you shouldn't sit on the couch with your laptop and try to work you should be in your office your office is your work time your couch is your relaxed time and um, I think that has a lot to do with anxiety and like the brain being confused on what environment am I in and what am I supposed to be doing right now? So the more black and white you can create is really going to be helpful, whether it's diet, whether it's lifestyle, sleep, work, family, like anything. Um, yeah, our, our, our biology likes structure, that's for sure. <laughs> well, cool. So we have uh, understanding insulin resistance um getting kind of awareness of habits and these these smaller changes nighttime snacking do you have one more kind of food or diet nutrition related change that you think plague a lot of people
2: well i it's maybe mixed all in with it okay but also just looking at your relationship with food all right I remember, oh, I don't know, four or five years ago, I was teaching a class on reversing diabetes, Mm -hmm. and one of the little exercises that I do, it was in a classroom setting, so there were 10 people. One of the exercises I do is having them think about their childhood eating experiences. So I have them actually draw a picture of their childhood dining room table, what they were eating, who was there, and what did it feel like. Yeah. And one of the gentlemen in the class came up to me afterwards and he says, oh my gosh, I never ever thought about that. But at the age of 55, I'm guessing, Mm -hmm. he said in his adult life, he rarely has ever sat down to eat dinner. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, no, we're always just eating on the run. I stand up in the kitchen, and I eat my dinner in five minutes, and I'm out the door. And I said, well, why do you do that? And he said, well, I just figured it out. Because he, he said, as a child, we never sat down around the dining room table either. So from a very young age, he was it was yeah. patterned wow. into him that you don't need to sit around the dining room table to eat dinner. Yeah. So in his adult life, he just thinks that's the norm.
1: Yeah. That's crazy, wow, yeah. I think the um breaking down someone's relationship with food is such a hard thing to do as a coach, and it's nice to have different exercises and and things like that. But it's hard because some of those exercises won't resonate with some people, and it will with others. Um, what what up, do you have? Any other fun tools or tactics that you use? I'm personally curious uh, of working with with clients f- towards that and helping them understand that and dig in.
2: Well. I guess the main thing I would say is change is hard. Mm-hmm. And partly it is our biology. I mean, literally, it is the way your brain is wired. Yeah, Our habits, our brain creates habits for us to make our life easier. Right. If you had to think about how to brush your teeth, how to tie your shoe, how to drive to work every day, you'd go nuts. Yeah, you'd be exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> so our brain has created these habits and then the habits that, involve food. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. But there is indeed a neurological pathway in your brain that is created when you have a habit, whether it's nighttime snacking or whatever it is. Yep. For me, it's probably my morning coffee. <laughs> so I think when I explain to people like, oh, you actually have this neurological pathway in your brain And when we try to change what you're going to eat for breakfast, your brain is going to go, no, 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 no. I always do it this way. So there's going to be a little bit of, of, you know, conflict going on, but you just have to say, okay, I understand what's going on. My brain is making a new pathway for my new habit. And again, I think if people understand what's going on, then they're not just like, oh, I can't do it. Right. You know, oh I'm not disciplined enough. Oh, I don't I'm not strong willed enough. I can't do it. Yeah. So it's,
1: it's like resistance training for the brain. It's the same way. You're exactly. in the gym and it's hard and it hurts and you're sweating and your muscles burn. But eventually that twenty pound weight is habit and it no longer feels like twenty. It feels like zero. And then you gotta bump it up to the thirty or the thirty-five. So that's uh yeah, that's I think that's really cool that you spend a lot of time pre-framing things before just saying tactics, go do this, go do that, go do that. Um, true true educator coach in you that's that's a really really important trait to have to really make sustainable like you're
0: saying long term change for people very cool so i know we've got a you know a deadline you've got you got somewhere to be and you know got a schedule we don't want to take up all your time i know i've in really enjoyed this uh talk i think we've all learned a lot anyone yeah. listening will learn a lot um, you got any like closing words you want to like part with people before we wrap this
2: I just want to reiterate my belief that food is medicine, and what you eat every bite you take is either promoting health or leading to disease. And also I'll put in just a little plug. I do have a two-day free challenge coming up to uh, help people lower blood sugar. It's in my Facebook group. Anybody who wants more info can reach out to Oak Strength, and I can share that information with all of you. So you can share it with your clients.
1: Awesome. Do you, do you, um? Does the Facebook group have a name they can search it? Yes, or?
2: Integral Health Solutions Club. Okay, so yeah, are. they can certainly fun join the group and okay. have a special invite. Uh, it's coming up March twenty third, twenty fourth. So two days to two days, an uh, hour long live stream. Okay. And it'll be a lot of what we've talked about today with extra things added on specifically for diabetes. Awesome.
0: Thank you. That's great. Well, Karen, thank you for your time. I'm sure I know I've learned something. I'm excited to, you know, I you know in the future, have you guys have you back so that we can you know continue to dive in some of this. Because I think there's so much that people could learn and just, you know, continue just to be educated and understanding of like, oh, I can do I can actually do something about this.
1: Yeah, they have the power.
0: (laughs) So thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. Check us out, oakstrength.com, social media at oakstrength. And until next time, be happy, be healthy, be strong. Peace.